Hi, this is Sean Fensky, and I'm here for another Mic on MedTech as part of the MedTech Matters uh, channel. Uh, today we're talking about human factors and usability. Uh, as always, joining me is uh, Mike Drews, president of Vascular Sciences, and we're going to discuss the uh, the term that you know has probably been. Uh, getting a little more attention in, in recent years, uh, so we'll we'll talk about why and and some of the FDA implications, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, just to kick things off, Mike, uh, welcome again to uh, to this episode. Thank you, Sean. Always a pleasure to talk to you and, and your audience. So let let's get started right with the with the uh, the meat and potatoes, uh, human factors uh, with regard to the development of medical devices. You know, what are we talking about? So that's a great place to to start, Sean. So what uh, you know, FDA often uses the phrase human factors. It also goes by usability or ergonomics. Um, although there are some minor differences, let's consider all three of those phrases to be synonymous. Simply put, what human factors means is how does the user, uh, be it a physician, surgeon, uh, nurse, or in some cases even the patient, how does the user actually use or interact with the medical device? Ideally, in order to achieve its um, intended purpose, uh, and that is what's on the device's label, the intended use and indications for use and so on. So to use a very, very simple metaphor, uh, consider a scalpel. You know, obviously the scalpel needs to fit in the surgeon's hand. They need to be able to, to hold it, to, to grip it. If it's going to be used in a surgery that's going to last a long period of time, uh, they need to be able to hold it for, you know, that period of time. Uh, but most importantly, it's not just the demonstration that the surgeon can hold it, but taking it a step further that they can actually use it to cut tissue or do whatever it is that's on the product label. Um, and taking this a step further, one of the common questions that I get from folks in this area is what's the difference between a usability study and a clinical trial? Um, so here's the simple the way I differentiate between the two. Uh, in a clinical trial, the focus is on the patient what happens to the patient, but in a usability study, the focus is on the user. Historically, as you know, Sean, in the medical device industry, most of the time the user was a physician or a surgeon, and the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the user was a physician or the surgeon, not the patient, but nowadays, with more and more medical devices being designed for actual patients to use themselves in their home or somewhere else, nowadays the user and the patient are often becoming one and the same. And so that's really blurring the lines between a clinical trial and a usability study, but we can talk more about that later if you want. Yeah, I definitely want to get back back to the, the patient use case. Um, but first, let's, talk, let's, let's focus a little bit on the FDA and how, uh, you know, last year they, they issued some human factors related guidance, some usability related guidance for medical device manufacturers. Have human factors always been a part of the FDA's uh, review process, approval process, uh, something they wanted to see within the the submission, or you know, has it been a relatively new add-on that's that's only come into play, you know, say in the last couple of years? 
once again, Sean, that's a terrific question. Um, first of all, the guidance that you're referring to, specifically CDRH put out two guidances last year in 2016 in the general area of human factors, uh, one of them on highest priority devices for human factors, and the second one, uh, and perhaps more important of the two, is applying human factors or usability to medical devices. We can provide on the website links to those guidances if the Absolutely. audience is interested. Uh, but um, historically, FDA has put out now probably approaching a dozen guidances in the general area of usability or human factors, not just specifically for devices uh, by CDRH, but uh, also in the emerging area of combination products as well. Um, but let's come back to, to your original question, is this something new? Well, actually, um, kind of depends on what your definition of new is. Those, do those dozen guidances did not exist prior to about seven or eight years ago. Uh, prior to that, there was absolutely no guidance or regulation. I shouldn't say none, uh, but very, very little on usability. So what was the root cause? What was the, the precipitating event, if you will, that sort of caused FDA to get into this area. It was really one thing. You may remember probably around eight or maybe even nine years ago now, Sean, the um, infusion pump fiasco, as I right. like to call it, where uh, there were some 80 or more recalls of infusion pumps from a variety of different manufacturers because of usability issues or the lack thereof. And in the interest of full disclosure, I was one of several people that were invited to come into the FDA and, at the time and talk about this, uh, because back then, as you may remember, there were some folks that were advocating that we should require clinical trials for infusion pumps. And I said, that was nuts. There's nothing that you can test an infusion pump for in a clinical trial that you cannot test it for on a benchtop. Um, so that was sort of the, the precipitating event, the root cause. Since then, um, now usability uh, has obviously become an important issue in many, if not you know, vir you know, most or, or, or virtually all medical devices. As a matter of fact, as I said to one of the companies I work with just the other day, um, not to do usability testing on a new medical device is quickly becoming the exception rather than the rule. Um, and one could easily argue FDA has no basis to regulate usability because usability is the practice of medicine and FDA does not regulate the practice of medicine. So on a personal note, I'm kind of surprised that the industry has not pushed back to say that, sorry, FDA, but unless Congress specifically mandates this, you cannot ask companies to, uh, to do this. Now, again, Sean, let me be crystal clear. I am not advocating that companies should not do usability testing. On the contrary, I'm a huge proponent. I believe that we have a professional obligation, maybe even an ethical obligation, to make sure that people can use our products in the way that they're actually intended to be used. The question is, do we need our government, you know, the FDA, to tell us to do something that we all as engineers should be responsible enough to, to know that we have to do? But that's a, a topic of a different discussion. Yeah, and, and to me, it, it actually comes comes down to a commercialization slash marketing uh, uh, approach where 
you know, usability, human factors, you know, that, that ties into how you, how you are able to market the product. If, you know, if surgeons, just for example, uh, you know, have, have difficulty using a product, well, the, li- the life cycle or the lifetime for that product is probably not very optimistic as opposed to a company that's taken the approach to speak with surgeons or, or you know, learn from surgeons how they use, say, a cutting tool or a cutting instrument uh, and, and see what specific technique they're using or how their hand is positioned. You know, it, it comes down to a, to a commercialization uh, you know, or I, I shouldn't say it comes down to that, but that's certainly a contributing element where, you know, it, it, it would be in their best interest as a company, as a financial driver to uh, use the best uh, usability human factors findings. Well, you're exactly correct, Sean. And as a matter of fact, I'll take it a step further. Um, I have several case study examples that I use in some of my medical device trainings uh, where medical devices have come onto the market and have then uh, been removed from the market because, quite simply, the user, the physician or the surgeon, for example, did not use the device the way the designers and the engineers thought it was going to be used uh, or thought it should be used. And so this is fundamentally what we're trying to address here, and that is um, can the user, be it the physician, surgeon, or in some cases maybe even in the patient, can the user actually use the device to accomplish whatever it is the device is supposed to do? So... Earlier, you just mentioned, uh, you know, clinical trials with the infusion pumps versus uh, benchtop testing. How, you know, what, what are your recommendations or how should manufacturers conduct human factors testing on, a, on their device or their product? So that's a terrific question, Sean. I could very easily give the sort of trite answer that most regulatory professionals would probably give you, and that is follow the regulation, follow the guidance. <laughs> you know, the guidance, you know, suggests using 15 users and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But listen, I'm not going to be insulting or condescending to you or your audience. People or can read that information that themselves. You know, that's, that's not my intent. But to illustrate, um, my best advice Uh, is if we're going to do usability testing, let's make it realistic. And here's what I mean by that. Not long ago, I was at a conference, and just coincidentally, before my presentation, um, somebody else was presenting on usability testing. And this particular person was describing the um, inclusion and exclusion criteria of their uh, usability study and the, um, the endpoints and so on. And one of them was that the, the surgeon, this happened to be a surgical device, the surgeon had to read the DFU, the directions for use, prior to using the device. And at the end of this person's presentation, I raised the question because I wanted to have a, a public discussion on this. And I said, well, you do realize that you now have totally invalidated your entire usability study because we all know that nobody reads that crap. And so, and she, you know, responded, you know, to her credit by saying, well, yes, you are exactly right. However, it did pass mustard at the FDA. 
So this gets into the fundamental question of, yeah, we're, using, we're doing usability study, studies, we're doing HF testing, but how realistic, how representative uh, is it of the real world? So recently I've developed my own sort of usability um, protocol, and it's very, very simple. In fact, it only has two steps. So you want to do a usability study? Here's what you do. You give your device to the user, the surgeon, the patient, whoever it is, and then you shut up, and you don't <laughs> say or you don't do anything, and you simply watch, you simply observe what they do. And if, oh, by the way, one of the first things they do is they take it out of the box and they take your DFU and throw it right in the trash, as happens you know, virtually all of the time, then you note that down. You know, as an engineer myself, I'm more concerned with how my devices are being used in the real world as opposed to how a device might be used in the theoretical world where some people assume that people read and follow what's, you know, what's on your label, what's in your instructions. But, of course, this is a, you know, a charged topic, as you can imagine, Sean, and it conjures up all kinds of interesting questions because now you're, you know, what if the person starts using it for other indications, you know, for off label use and so on. So, but anyway, that's my, my quick two bits. Uh, if you really want to do um, what I call real usability testing, that's the way I would do it. Right. So basically you're coming in with, with the sealed pa how they would receive it off the shelf, the sealed package, open it up, and, and, or the, the surgeon, I should say, or nurse opens it up and, and just and take notes from there. That's correct. And by the way, uh, you know, most of our discussions are typically fo focused on the intersection between engineering and regulatory. But let me bring one other piece into this equation momentarily, and that is product liability. A growing part of my business is actually acting as an expert witness in medical device product liability lawsuits. And let me tell you, one thing that I've learned from dealing with a, a lot of product liability attorneys is they don't limit to me to what is, for example, on the FDA-approved or cleared label. They don't limit me to just looking at what FDA may have required the company do in terms of testing, whether it's usability testing or something else. What they want is my uh, opinion as a professional biomedical engineer what, sh what should the company have done, whether, you know, in some cases maybe more than what was, uh, was required. So I guess what I'm saying to your audience here is um, obviously we, we want to be concerned about meeting the regulatory requirements to get this through FDA or Health Canada or who have you, but also, um, you know, I think that we have, a, as I said earlier, a professional obligation to try to understand how our devices are used in the real world because if we don't, we're setting ourselves up to, for some potentially huge liability problems later on. And uh, just to, to end this part of our discussion, I hear a lot of people tell me that they fear the FDA. I say to them, no, 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 you should not fear the FDA. You should have a healthy respect for the FDA. Who should you fear? You should fear the product liability attorneys because they can do a heck of a lot more damage to a company than the FDA ever could. Yeah, and, it, and I, think, I think this rings, rings true, uh, the examples you provide and, and what you're saying about uh, human factors, and especially with the example you gave of the, the conference session and the, the speaker that had come before you, you know, it's, it's the difference, and this is something you've repeated in other, in other podcasts, the difference between simply checking a box and doing a true 
testing procedure or you know truly ensuring safety as opposed to just checking the box to get it through FDA correct all right so now we you brought up you know earlier right at the start the the difference of uh, you know using or doing usability factor uh, usability testing and human factors for a device that's being used by the patient, as you mentioned, you know, more devices are being used in the home, on the go, you know, outside of the physician office, the healthcare environment. So how do, you know, what are the considerations for human factors with these types of devices, with the devices that are being used by a patient, whether it be a caregiver, an elderly person, a, a child, you know, it all depends on the type of device. So what do you do in those situations? So that's a great question, and as, as we both know, and as I'm sure your audience knows, we have more and more devices out there that are specifically, uh, you know, intended to be used by the patient, by, you know, normal people like, like you and I. Um, and unfortunately, the current guidance, the current regulation, uh, really does not address this, in, at least in an adequate fashion, in my opinion. Um, this is something that companies really need to go beyond. I strongly believe, well, first of all, as I said earlier, I think usability uh, testing is important across the board. That's a given. But in scenarios where your device is going to be used by uh, a regular person, Usability testing is even more important than uh, for a device that's intended to be used by uh, a professional, somebody that has gone to medical school or dental school or what have you. Um, for somebody that is not a professional, um, I think usability is even much more important, and we really need to, to emphasize that. Um, there's an underlining assumption that somebody that has graduated from medical school or dental school or what have you knows what they're doing, or at least they should. And by the way, I'm not trying to be flippant, but as you know, Sean, I have a strong medical background. I used to teach medical school myself back in the day, and uh, I always was reminded of the old joke, what do you call the person that graduates last in their class in medical school? <laughs> Doctor. doctor. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> just because somebody has an MD after their name, or a PhD for that matter, doesn't necessarily, as Shania Twain said in her song, impress me much. So, uh, but, but nonetheless, there's an underlining assumption that people that are trained medical professionals have some skill level in order to be able to use the devices that we're giving them to use. But of course, when we're talking about the lay public, there is no underlining assumption of that. And so usability becomes even more important in those particular cases. So to use a very, very simple metaphor, um, imagine that you're designing a car that is intended to be driven by the masses, the, you know, people like you and I. But when you go to test the car, you, the people that you have come to test your car are the uh, professional race car drivers, the Mario Andretti's of the, of the world. So obviously that's not a realistic usability study. And by the way, the same thing happens in clinical trials too. So I think another criteria, in my opinion, to make sure that not only do you do a usability study that you can tick the box to use your phrase earlier, but most importantly to use my phrase to make it realistic, you need to test your device uh, in the hands of 
uh, a sample of people that, that truly represent the demographic of the population that, that you are planning to, uh, to, to provide this to. If you don't, yes, you are ticking the box, and likely it will pass mustard at the FDA, but what have you really accomplished? Yeah, not not much. <laughs> so uh, I think that's uh, that's where we're going to uh, to wrap up. Unfortunately, we we are out of time, and there's still uh, uh, questions to be asked about human factors. So as always, if you have additional questions, feel free to reach out to me at uh, S Fensky, S is in Sam, F is in Frank, E N S K E at Rodman Media, all one word dot com. Or uh, go to the MPO uh, MPO Mag website, or just check back on a future uh, podcast, and we'll try to address any questions. Uh, for Mike Drews, I'd like to say thanks for listening, and we'll speak with you next time. Mm-hmm.